It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're talking titles. There's the Premier League title and another weekend of twists and turns for Liverpool, Manchester City and Arsenal. There's the title of Harry Kane's England deputy and the battle between Ivan Toney and Ollie Watkins and Dominic Solanke. And there's the title of the most stupid tackle in football as Mason Holgate ensures Sheffield United get thrashed by Brighton. We'll also be talking about Rasmus Hoyland and Roy Hodgson and joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that. We have a football journalist and writer whose title and nickname amongst us editors is The Postie, as she always delivers. It's Alison Rudd. We've got a former footballer who was known as Tony Goal and the ice cream man during his career as a striker. It's Tony Cascarino. And another former footballer who, upon retirement, started a column called The Journeyman, but is now affectionately known amongst Times Sports editors as National Rail, because like the trains in this country, his copy <laughs> is always late. Gregor Robertson is here too. Slanderous stuff. Is it, is it slanderous stuff? No, it's though? not. It's entirely true. It's entirely true. Uh, and that nickname, listeners, is in fact something I made up this morning for the purposes <laughs> of that intro. But I'm going to be sticking with it, because I thought it was quite good. National Rail. Yeah, I prefer Journeyman. Fine. Yeah, but you're not anymore. You're stuck in, sticking okay, with okay. us. So National Rail. Tony, I'd like you to tell us a bit more about the ice cream man, because I'd never heard this. Um... Chad Cholton called me the ice cream man, first of all, because he could never say Cascarino. <laughs> Just said the ice cream man. <laughs> is that actually right? Uh, yeah, it's exactly the truth. Yeah, if and you it, say it very reason. fast, it does sound like Cascarino, doesn't it? Ice cream man. Uh, ice cream man. Tony, he, ice cream man. He never called me Tony, and he never called me Cascarino. So he never Tony's mentioned... very hard. He just know. would say Kaza or the ice cream man. Kaza or the ice cream man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, truly wonderful. I was... <laughs> I, Thing is, I was actually hoping that that would be a really broad story no. around how you once brought it, bought for ninety nines for all the lads <laughs> and something. But no, it's actually much more simple than that. But I think actually more enjoyable. Thank you for that. Um, what a wonderful way to start. But we move to the Premier League title uh, and Manchester City surprise draw with Chelsea. No one saw that coming. Least of all us on this podcast after slagging off Chelsea all season. Um, but I want to start with Chelsea very briefly because it obviously then immediately turned to Manchester City. Tone. In your column this morning, you said that for the first time, unlike other times where there's little moments for Chelsea and we go, oh, they're a bit good, and then you've kind of said, mm, no, they're still not great. You thought that this 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 performance was actually showed some promise, real promise. More more in the way of them being a threat and how they could hurt City. I thought that was intriguing. I mean, if you take over the two games, it's been 5-5. They drew 4-4 Stamford Bridge, Man City, and it's gone 1-1 at the Etihad. And Chelsea's performance was... I felt it was energetic. I thought Chilwell handed Foden as well as anybody I've seen this year, which was really interesting how he, how well he played. Disarcy centre-half, best game he's had in a Chelsea shirt. Look, if you look at it and want to dissect it completely, Erlen Ireland the week before had two chances. Hardly had a sniff at goal. At the weekend, he had five or six great chances, didn't take any of them. Mm. Um, it could have been a much higher scoreline for both teams because Chelsea calls... City problems, like I said, um, Ireland is not going to do that very often. Yeah. You know, his record tells you that he's a goal scorer, and two or three of them. It was a couple of headers that I felt were a bit harder than they actually look because it's the ball that's just above you. It's a bit too high, and you can't get above it to head it down. He had a couple of them in the game, and then there was a couple of poor finishes in there as well. But that ain't going to happen very often. But fair play to Chelsea because they were a threat. And they kept it as tight, and their workload was brilliant. Um, certainly, 
Fernandez, um, Caicedo, Gallagher, a lot of energy there in that side. So Chelsea fans would be delighted with that performance and probably a little bit gutted they didn't actually get three points as well. Yeah, I, just... I can't believe it. I can't believe what I've just heard. What? You still, re- still, still reeling about the ice they cream were, man thing? Well, that that is it's making me want a 99 now, because so I'm very suggestible. But also, I can't believe how positive you're being about Chelsea. Well, no, I, I just, flip I, it. They no. were so they had that game. They, as you say, they were proving they could cause a threat, and they went so defensive. Yeah, Pochettino's substitutions. What were they saying to the team? I don't have faith in you. I don't have faith in you to win mm. this. They got deeper and deeper. Invited. If you want to, if you want to explain to someone who knows nothing about football, what does the phrase "inviting pressure" mean? You'd say, look at what Chelsea did towards the end of that game. Is that not fair against Manchester City, though? No, the but they were. They were City. first of all. They, they were. They were they are Chelsea and they were do, they were doing well. They were they were they were causing them problems. They looked unsettled. Instead, they seem to just sort of withdraw into themselves. Is that not a I, natural the way the rhythm were, of a game though? Yeah, even no, the way they were, they've done it all season, Chelsea. If you watch every game, they've they've never thought, oh, we've got we've got momentum here. We've Man taken City the lead home, and we'll done. go for it. They didn't. Man City at home, Never they do. did They did that. They went after City because they were losing yeah. the game. I felt... They're better when they're it's, losing It's the hard game. when you have a five or nearly six forwards getting in, in dangerous areas where inevitably you don't let runners go. So you're sort of forced to go that way. Do you see what I mean? She, Ow. I you think, get forced to defend. It's I, think, not I think the way that Chelsea, that Chelsea caused City problems was from being in a, a low block. Yeah. Like I, I know, obviously that well, they, they receded more and more, but and put on defenders. But the way that they the way that they set up was to was basically a back five. Although, got you know Gusto yeah. and the, the wing bats were really quite uh, quite yeah. brave Hot, in the way yeah. that they, they they tried to mark the wingers, and Caicedo and Fernandez filled in the little gaps. Mm. I think I think you could describe it as a fairly smart performance, which yeah. is rare. <laughs> you know, it's very different too because they have to uh, City. City came right on top of them and left a lot of space to exploit in behind. Mm. And the way they, the way they exploited that was very smart. And that's not the kind of opponent that they come up against most weeks. And it's, you know, it's easier for them to to exploit that space than when they're playing. They're normally play, the team playing against, you know, a side with a low block. Mm. So I, I thought it was a smart performance, which I haven't said very many times this season. You certainly haven't. Very quickly on Ben Chilwell because I wanted to ask you, you know, former former left backs union, is he is it him if he's fit? Is he a better option for England than Luke Shaw as a more complete player. Luke Shaw, obviously, excellent going forward. I, look, I think I think yes, but Shaw has been brilliant for England, and particularly has, in tournaments. Yeah. And I think mm. Gareth Southgate puts a lot of weight in that. It's the same sort of argument with Harry Maguire. He's arguably better for England than he is for United. Although he's been good for United when he's been fit. But Chilwell, at his best, is. I think you're right. I think he is a more sort of complete all-round uh, wing back. Yeah, and very important to this Chelsea side. On to City then. Paul Hurst has written this morning, City's form against top sides is a concern. I was discussing this piece with him uh, over the weekend. And with it is a table showing the big six Premier League table. Um, So this includes Chelsea and Manchester United, not the kind of big six on form, of course. Um, Arsenal are top. Six six games, 12 12 points, sorry. Tottenham second. City in third. um, Seven points from six games. Do you agree with Hursty that City's... um, performances against these top sides is a concern Gregor I mean if you can say a concern is after a kind of 11 match win and run uh, that's about the only concern you can find for Manchester yeah. City but just to come back to you that, that is the kind of gist of um, Hursty's piece is that he said Pep Guardiola in the press conferences before this game said remember my you know, sentence I'm saying this is not this. we, we yeah. make it look easy and this is your point You know, yeah. they make it look easy but it's not easy to win this many games and that's why you will then stumble against yeah. um, Chelsea and everyone go bloody hell they can't even beat Chelsea yeah look, look there are there are some worries I think the biggest worry would as Hursty also pointed out in this piece, is Akanji when Akanji was asked to play in that kind of midfield role, that hybrid role, mm. he's just nowhere near as comfortable as John Stones, and it's it's kind of becoming increasingly hard to see why he keeps trying to do that, um, because we saw how he, how easy, not easy, easy, not the right word, but how how much Chelsea were, were able to exploit the the lack of cover when City were were attacking, you know, on the counter attack, so. Um, that's an issue, and 
well, Haaland, Haaland, I'm sure won't have a miss <laughs> as many chances again in the next game. Yeah, but, I, w- I wish he had it was, as it a was man who made triple captain in the fantasy football team. Cheers, Erling. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, no, you're quite right. And we shouldn't dwell too much on Manchester City's disaster to collapse the breakdown. Because they'll almost certainly win another 11 in a row. It now. does matter, doesn't it? It what does. Their form of is against the top teams it because if it's, it's only in their hands if they win those crucial games and they've got to face Liverpool. And if they're not very good against the top teams, they're not going to win the title. Quite right. Speaking of Liverpool, who was there? Who could we possibly ask about Liverpool? Amid the chaos and madness of their form this season, the madness on the pitch, the madness off it, it's all going crazy. But Alison Rudd, there is a man of calming reassurance, isn't there? Tell us who he is. <laughs> If, you, uh, if you're privileged enough to go to a Saturday game for the Times and you have a colleague who's going to do the report for the Sunday Times, you go into what is known as the mix zone and you wait for the players to walk past you. And every club has a different personality with this. Some, some clubs ask you who you want to speak to. And some clubs allow you to grab who you can grab. And Liverpool are fairly flexible. Um, anyway... Um, a lot, lot, lot of players hobbled past us with their protective boots on, knee braces on. It's uh, it, that, That's a bit of a worry for Liverpool, the injuries. But anyway, um, it started to feel a bit like, ooh, wobble, wobble, wobble. Um, but then out walked Virgil van Dijk. I've, I've seen him before and spoke to him in a mixed zone before. But he is, you have to meet the man to realise what an impact he probably has as captain of that team. He's He has the most... It, the hugest of auras, very calm presence. He has that look in his eyes where he treats everything slightly ironically, mm. like, uh, okay, I'll tolerate these questions sort of thing. <laughs> but he just exudes calm and seriousness. And you you can imagine being in the dressing room or walking out with him and having concerns about whatever the concerns might be, too many young players in the team perhaps, or the jitters of being top of the table and him being able to convince everybody don't worry we've got this I mean he really has got an aura I mean the minute he signed for Liverpool I said he's going to be the captain you could just tell and you can you can tell even if he wasn't actually the captain he'd be the captain he's just so and he's clever and analytical and you uh, authentic so when he says we have the ability to cope with being top of the table and to absorb any injuries you you believe he knows something you know he's not just saying it he knows something he knows they've got it so um it was it was really nice having watched players hobble through <laughs> the mix zone to see somebody look like yeah no it's a bit of a shame but it's fine we've got Salah it's cool it's all cool should add to that there really is only two players who stop in the mix zone for Liverpool, and it's Van Dijk and Andy Robertson. Well, it's partly a language thing. Uh, exactly. You know, I'm not. That's not criticism, but both do kind of omit something really. Like Robertson's just a determined sort of. He's got that stare. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he approaches everything like, "Don't worry about it, guys." Like, <laughs> I saw a lot of that in Scotland. Funny enough, when I was there, <laughs> I thought yeah. that was a bit of pro-Scotland agenda creeping in. <laughs> But also the other thing about Virgil van Dijk is that he's been brilliant on the pitch. Tony, this is something that you had mentioned before, maybe a waning in his skills and his performance. Before, not not currently, yeah. of course. He's been fantastic, hasn't he, in terms yeah, of his performance? Yeah, sort of, we, I say we built him. He's always been a terrific player. And I, th- I think the game's easy for him. And I think that's the only stumbling block with Virgil is that I think he could get a little bit bored at times or, you know, and he needs that adrenaline to, to play his very best because he's such a... And he's blisteringly quick. He's tremendous in the air. He's got incredible composure. He's got a great diagonal ball, which he'd done against Brentford a few times. He, he has so much quality that I do think the only trouble for him is if he just slightly switches off. Which he can't in this Liverpool team because no, there's chaos and madness happening all around may, him. Maybe that's a, a fact. I mean, he's had a number of different partners as well, but he's always been Klopp's number one. Yeah. Um, and I think he knows that. He's number one. You yeah. know, you do know as a player sometimes when you're in a side where who may be the captain or not, who, or someone who might get the headlines, but deeply, really, he's the number one. That's sort of what Alisson's alluding to. Yeah. Um, yeah, ever, I mean, ever I... Been, any, ever been anyone's number one, Tim? 
Apart, um, from, apart from mine, of course. I don't even be the number one at home. What <laughs> on the football field? Um, yeah, look, you, I mean, Andy Townsend used to get special treatment off Jack Charlton. And you're still annoyed about it? Well, no, I used to find it annoying because me and Andy roomed together. Jack would walk in and he'd be all listening to Andy and I'd try and get in a word edgeways and, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And Andy, right, we need, and I used to find it, i say, Jack, what about from a forwards perspective? And he, but he, he trusted that when he made him captain, he was like that. But sometimes they just, they, and also having a relationship. It's funny enough, I'm going right off pissed here. I, 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 I went to Andy Townsend's house this week and he showed me um, a, a letter from Jack. Uh, it was about tickets for a cup final because Villa were in the cup final and they, they, were, they were playing and Jack wanted to go and asked Andy for tickets. And it's a written letter and at the end of it, he said, have a look at what he put at the end of it. He said, I'll pay for them. <laughs> he said he had no intention of paying. It was literally you get me him, yeah. and, you know, and that was Jack. But it was just lovely, and Andy's got it in, yeah. in a little slip what, frame. What, what food stuff did he call Andy? Yeah. What what food? Was it, was what it was ice, ice, ice lollies? Oh, was that? Did no, 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 he didn't. Chip butter. No, just Andy. Was, <laughs> Jack was really basic on lots of stuff, apart from but, your nickname, but because he <laughs> just couldn't say Tony Casquino, he would just say ice cream man. <laughs> Anyway, Jack Charlton yes. might not have always wanted to listen to you, Tony, but yeah. I do, and I want to know your views on Arsenal and their ability to score absolutely tons of goals, seemingly, without a striker. A few months ago, we were saying they need to sign Ivan Tony, but now, as long as they've got Bukayo Saka and the rest of the forwards, they seem to have found this way to score loads of goals again. Well, well Tom, managers and coaches have paid lots of money to make decisions that we wouldn't see popular or the right one, and you know the, the drive for getting a centre-forward to the club. Tweaking the team and making Trossard... You know, a versatile striker come false number nine has paid huge dividends. First of all, Trossard's a great finisher. I remember watching him at Brighton, he gets things out of his feet. You can see, if you watched him trying, you could tell he's a finisher by just the way he takes goals. I think that's been a blessing for Arteta. With that, Odegaard has come into the fold again. Saka's found his form on the right. There's been a real confidence boost to that forward line by the amount of goals they're getting. And... I, you know, sometimes in defeat, they had that bad period where they lost to Fulham, didn't they? And lost to West Ham at home, and it looked like the wheels are going to fall off, and then they've just gone smash, they've just literally smashed everybody. The Liverpool victory was a big one for them in the league. It really was. I think some they found something that day by the way they beat Liverpool, um, because they were the better team on the day. They found something there that just has taken them onto a... I'd never thought in any danger of Arsenal not getting three points on against Burnley away. And we know Burnley have obviously become one of the worst teams where they are now. They can see it. I think the team podcast five aside would get three points against Burnley, oh. to be honest. Yeah, so it's a fair point. But I do She doesn't think, mean that, Burnley I, fans. She doesn't mean that. I do, going back to my original point, I do think that is the ability of a coach or a manager who's decided we've got other options to play or other ways to play with the personnel we've got and I'm going to make this work. Mm. Is anyone ever going to pick Odegaard up on the edge of the box, though? Like, but they were every for a time bit, Saka though. and Martinelli run down, well, and everyone were, bombs into yeah. the box, and Odegaard just sort of drifts into that little space on the edge of the box, and no one. You offering to do it? Come out of retirement? I think even if the, the Times podcast, you know, five side team was, I would do that job. Yeah. I mean, you've just <laughs> completely distracted me now because all I can think about is who would play in midfield if we've got Tony up front, you in defence. Who's going to be in midfield anyway? But talking about Arsenal, Gregor, we talked last week about um, West Ham and defeats, heavy defeats. What does it do? in a dressing room and with for a team when you've won 6-0 and 5-0 after beating Liverpool because you know Tony said that was a massive thing but to then win you know 11 goals in two games non conceded you mean you must be absolutely flying aren't you oh god yeah i mean Havertz in in uh, Charlotte's piece today was kind of saying look if we if we score two goals in the next the ne- next week then you guys will be saying we need a striker again so like they obviously know what the kind of narrative and the conversation is outside the club mm. but as Tony says they've found a way um, you, you you do have to caveat that West Ham were abysmal and Burnley are abysmal yeah. uh, ooh harsh I mean they are they can't they just they can't defend. abysmal's fine saying we they beat them defend. at football is a bit a bit toppy I'd say but, <laughs> a, but you know more broadly speaking they've now scored as, they've now scored more goals than City They've got the same goal difference as Liverpool. You know, this was the question mark about Arsenal. Are they going to have some... Have they got the focal point? Have they got someone who's going to score enough goals for them to win the title? Everything suggests that that doesn't matter. Did you see the crossover in the two pieces, Tom? 
Mr. Editor. So in my piece... It's going to look bad if I didn't. Go on. <laughs> in my piece, I talked about how Virgil said the key to remaining calm. Well, the key is to remain calm in the t- if you're yeah. top of the table in your title race. And the key to remaining calm is to enjoy the football. And Kai Havertz, who was interviewed in Charlotte's piece, says exactly the same thing. It's about remembering to enjoy your football. So they're both cottoned on. Both teams have cottoned on to Jeez. the fact that... And I put them on the same spread in the newspaper as well. It's like almost Symm- like... The symmetry a- was astonishing. Oh, Other point like is that without Zinchenko, QBRs come in as, as yeah. just kind of seamlessly come in and they've found another way too with White on the other side stepping in. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, again, last season, there were question marks when Zinchenko was out the team, when Jesus was out the team. They're both out the team just now. Mm. The only one left is, that anyone can find now but Arsenal mm. is if Saliba was to go out the team. There's <laughs> an irony literally... in that, Gregor, isn't there? Because they were brought in the two players who have come from success in a winning way from City to add to Arsenal and he's ended up, well, obviously Gabriel Jesus is injured, but Zinchenko feels like now he's going to find it very difficult to get into this team. Yeah, Jesus is still in their best team. Yeah. Zinchenko, you would have said that until very recently, but now you're starting to think, are they better defensively without him? Yeah. And they have found the solution to still dominate in midfield by allowing someone else to step in. So, Speaking of solutions and, and, and problems, Alison, you touched on it with injuries. Gregor, you mentioned John Stones at Manchester City. Do we wonder whether the solutions to problems, managers being paid a lot of money, Tony, to fix things, and injuries, Liverpool have had a lot of them, might actually decide this title race? Because you're talking about Arsenal there with losing some key players but finding solutions. Liverpool, you know, maybe if they lost Van Dijk, that would be incredibly well, disastrous, you would say. City, John Stones becoming a big issue, as Paul Hurst is talking about, and you, Gregor. Could injuries decide this? Alison, are you worried about Liverpool's injuries? Well, I don't I don't want to think about Van Dijk being injured, first of all. And why would you jinx that? Why would you even suggest that, Tom? Which <laughs> it's the very, reverse jinx. I'm a Lincoln rude, City fan, though. League One, that's how we do things down here. No, the re- it's the I reverse mean, jinx we go for. Mm, uh, the reason, I mean... Seeing seeing Curtis Jones and, and Jota go off before half time and 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 you know probably relatively serious and keep them out, you do think oh you know Allison wasn't playing, uh, Trent wasn't playing, Sabotelai wasn't playing, uh, but it not it didn't feel um, and obviously if you, if you win the game you don't feel panicked, but it didn't feel like an overall panic situation because then you get Mo Salah coming off the bench, needing just one run at goal to to get. Get, get his feel back for it missed the target but after that he was absolutely scintillating amazing and you think well that's okay if if you can get people back <laughs> at a similar rate to the ones you're losing so you sort of have this turnover where your depth of depth of squad particularly in attack because that's what was said at the start of the season wow you know if Liverpool win the title it's going to be because look at look at the options up front and it, it it seems sort of slightly fantastical that they would need them all, but they do, they mm. do, and yeah. and so it's fine. They've all played minutes, they've all played in different positions, and you do feel unless there's something catastrophic happens that they, they Liverpool do have the depth to be able to cope with the two most recent injuries. So that, you know, clearly, that it's not pleasant, but just having. Just that there was something about seeing Salah stripping off earlier than he was going to, and thinking, ah, okay, this mm. is okay. Reassures also, everything. Also, the the youngsters, Liverpool yeah. have a group of youngsters that have already been sort of bedded into the team, and are there and ready. Jal mm. Kwanza, mm. Bradley again, yeah. what a player. Mm. Uh, Harvey Elliott, he's, he's still a youngster, but he's played probably nearly a hundred games mm. for Liverpool now. Um, that's another big kind of weapon for them. See, I, I would put in that Curtis Jones for me has grown into a proper player mm. and what I saw of him a year ago, really lots of talent still needed a little bit he needs to man up slightly physically I, f- I think this season he's been, a- and I think it's a big blow that if he's injured for Liverpool that's going to hurt them because I think he's their best midfield player Interesting, sounds like we're all tipping Liverpool for the title but I'm going to give you a chance to clarify, one team no justifications, no sitting on the fence Gregor just tell me who's going to win the Premier League title City Alison me and Van Dyke say Liverpool Tone City Arsenal for me <laughs> just to keep the Arsenal fans happy stick with us because uh, <laughs> we do think you've got a chance at the title I promise um, finishing part one with a mention of Roy Hodgson the Crystal Palace manager currently still um, of course we wish him well not been feeling very well Alison have you spoken to him 
Is he okay? We've, we've, we've exchanged texts yeah. politely. Um, he's home. Um, seems fine. Obviously, it's always distressing when when something happens to you medically and you don't know what's what's going on. But but you would if you were writing a drama about sport, you would not have the manager of a team who everyone's expecting to be sacked within ten minutes to collapse on the training pitch. Indeed, before before, before that news has come out, it's it was um, utterly bizarre. And I would argue the whole thing has uh, not. Steve Parrish is regarded as one of the more forward-thinking, intelligent chairmen, and he did step in single-handedly to save the club from administration. That's fantastic. But the way he, the way he's handled the current crisis, and I'm not even sure it was a crisis at Crystal Palace, is I and I, I've not, I've not, I've not been happy about it. A lot of people feel it's a bit strange, lacking dignity. I wrote a piece for the Sunday Times saying if anybody in the world other than Roy Hodgson was manager of Crystal Palace at the moment, who would Steve Parrish be calling? It would be Roy Hodgson. And the fact he seems to have forgotten that fact, it, sounds, it seems to me it's slightly ludicrous. If you list all the reasons why Palace are... They're not in the relegation zone. There are quite a few teams worse than Crystal Palace. The reasons they're struggling on recent form and they've had some bad luck in games as well it's it's injuries they don't have the depth of squad they don't have the money to have depth of squad the players we've all gushed about for the past sort of year 18 months they're all injured that is not the manager's fault and to have put out teams that have I, sh- I think have shown quite a lot of character and they've just buckled towards the end of a few games against bigger clubs that shows somebody, a manager who's more or less getting the best out of the team that he can. I think it's slightly odd to assume that someone who's never played, uh, never managed in the Premier League can come in and somehow work magic when the same players will still be injured. But for it to, for it to be an open secret that Oliver Glasner is coming in and still not to have told Roy Hodgson this at training. When Roy Hodgson collapsed at training, he had not been told this, you know, you might want to say goodbye or should we, should, we, should, we, should we shape your departure in a certain way, Roy? Should you want some input on how we do this? They hadn't kept him in the loop at all. Just seems, given he was manager for four years, gave them stability, stepped in as an emergency manager. Then when he was about to go and live abroad with his wife, they then begged him to come back for a one-season stint. It just seems a shoddy way of handling it. Tony, in the, your column this morning in the Times, you had not necessarily a differing view, but a slight counterpoint, more about the realities of football, <clears throat> modern football. Um, well, obviously, it was unfortunate the timing and the circumstances of how he, you know, collapsed in training. It's just straight away I felt, wow, football does this all the time. Football clubs, people, whatever you want to call it, tapping up other people to come and get the jobs. When Brighton beat Palace 4 1, I immediately thought, I'd be amazed if Palace are not looking already for a manager. That's just the brutal reality of football. I don't like a lot of it. I think loads of clubs, not you could probably say every club have been guilty of it at some time of going after someone who's in a job and you've still got a manager in a job. It's it's one of the, the dark sides of football. I mean, what got me was when I read on Friday night that Sheffield Wednesday were playing Millwall and they're in a hotel in Greenwich and uh, they, they, obviously they were staying there. Uh, sorry, Sheffield United. Sheffield Wednesday went in the team, uh, the hotel and uh, Steve Parrish and uh, Glasson, the new manager, or so-called new manager, be careful what I say there, um, were having a meeting and were disturbed. I find that really weird. Bad you know, planning. Well, just, hmm. you know, just think of it, you know, did you not do your homework that maybe Sheffield Wednesday might be here or somebody might be there? If it is going to be done, it's got to be done ultra private. And and Roy Hoshin should know. I think, for me, the biggest thing is because just out of sense of loyalty, you you would say to Roy, and like Alison, and Alison knows Roy very, very well, obviously, that you would he would have known before they would have that meeting that they were preparing for a change and we are going to meet this guy, then you're totally up front. Then you haven't got... You know, Roy shouldn't be in a position of being angry about the club he supported and worked at have gone behind his back without him knowing. Surely he deserves that. That's Mm. where I'd criticise the club. But for actually doing it and preparing for this moment, 
I think that's just every club in football, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, the problem is you need you need a replacement ready before you you make the final call. Yeah, so yeah, clearly they've not done it well, and it's it, it doesn't reflect very well on on Palace as a club or Steve Parish. But I mean, he's he's not handled many uh, sort of decisions that are kind of breaking from the norm or, or breaking the mold. Sorry, very well at all. Mm. Uh, you, if you look at the Boer, you look at Vieira. Any sort of breakup. I was looking at when I before I went to the the Chelsea game, uh, the Palace Chelsea game the other week. The managers that they've had in the Premier League are like Neil Warnock, Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis, Alan Pardew, and Roy Hodgson. Those two, those two were the kind of the, the different ones. I I don't blame Palace fans for wanting something new. I don't blame it. I, I, I've said it before. I don't think he should have been given the job again in the summer. But the way they're handling this now is pretty terrible, and it's it's not the first time as well that. Whatever you know, Palace's sort of the, the machinations of of their decision making are being played out in the media, like before before anything's actually concluded. Mm. That doesn't reflect well on Palace either. Well, it's a situation that is changing and updating all the time. And of course, Palace in action against Everton tonight. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, they might have a new manager. They might have someone else in the dugout. Who knows? Um, if you've got views on who will win the title or suggestions for a topic or Maybe you want to tell us where we've gone wrong, like listener David Barry, who correctly emailed to point out that I had recently trotted out the lazy myth that Dennis Law had in fact relegated Manchester United, which is not true. Thank you, David. Uh, then do get in touch, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. But for now, stick with us. Up next, we're talking strikers and stupid tackles. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I'm joined today by Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson. And Gregor, it's your piece that we're going to leap in on. Ollie Watkins, Villa's main man, staking a claim as Kane's understudy. don't want to talk so much about Villa. I want to talk about Watkins because that is all your piece is, in the, is about in the game. And then we're going to have a little debate about who's better because I've got some interesting stats for you. But first, over to you. Uh, I think he, was, he put on a masterclass at the weekend. Um Clinical finish, the first one, just brilliant. He didn't even, he didn't even touch the ball, and he's and he sold two defenders a dummy. He just rolled them, and then one touch and f- clinical finish in the bottom corner. And the second one was a brilliant piece of movement. Tony, as Tony will know, it's like the most simple, coming short to go in behind yeah. move by a striker. Mm-hmm. But he did it brilliantly at an angle. Villa worked it brilliantly, and he was he sold Diop a dummy, a brilliant dummy, and again a clinical finish. And I just think he's his confidence. Is clearly, you know, blossoming, and he's he scored more open go- open play goals than any other player in the league. Uh, he's I think only Salah's had more direct goal involvement, so goals are assists this season, and only one more. Uh, Watkins has twenty three, Salah twenty four, um, but also his his importance to Villa is underlined by the fact that he's. Sco- He's had an, an involvement in forty three percent of their their league goals this year, fifty two in all fifty two percent in all competitions. So, like their top four challenge rests upon his shoulders. I think it's that simple. They've got some other big players. In fact, his partnership with Tielemans is now getting really is now really interesting because they lost Bubakar Kamara to to an ACL injury, and he's a deep lying midfielder. And you would think Tielemans is almost a like for like replacement. But Emery played him in the number ten, dropped McGinn back, and they're working a really good partnership. They did it in the first, in inside two minutes, one of those kind of really incisive passing uh, moves through the centre of the pitch that Villa have become so kind of renowned for, and released to Watkins and he scored, and he was fractionally offside. It's one of three offside goals at the weekend. He's just 
So you think he's actually in that conversation around, you know, we just talked about the title race and key players from your Van Dykes, um, you know, to going into Saka, you're talking about him. You think Watkins, in terms of that race for fourth, he's up there with Son Heung-min and James Madison in terms of that good, that important to his team. Absolutely, I'm not saying yeah. he's as good as them players. I'm no, just no, saying he's, in that he's, conversation. Uh, yeah, I think he's as important to his team as any player is to their team in the league. I think Fulham fans were saying they were, they were defeated by Ollie Watkins. Hmm. Well, yeah, they were. And I, I also, like I, I said at the start of this piece, that I think he's one of the most complete strikers in the in the league as well because, you know, there are players who are better in the air, there are players who are quicker, but not many, actually. He's, he's rapid. Mm. Uh, he's really intelligent. He's, he's great with his back-to-goal you know, back to goal as well and dropping deep to link-up play. And as as I say as well, I, I actually think his profile is the closest to, to Harry Kane's of any, any other kind of striking option. That's not to say that you know, Tony would be a great alternative. You know, he's someone who would be an impact player off the bench, and the likelihood is you're going to be that player when you're when you're Kane's understudy. But if the worst were to happen to Harry Kane, I've no doubt that Ollie Watkins should be the next player who who steps into the team. It's very interesting on Watkins because with that piece about Saka, um, I was looking at some of the stats and looking at Premier League goals and assists since the start of last season. Erling Haaland, of course, top with 65 total, 52 goals, 13 assists. Then Mo Salah, of course, in second, 55 goals, 30 sorry, 34 goals, 21 assists, 55 total. Then the next two, Saka and Watkins, both on 44. And Watkins has actually got more goals, 28 goals, 16 assists. He's in elite company he's, now. He's absolutely. really up there now. He absolutely mm. is in elite company. He's, and and the, thing, the thing that's quite instructive about Emery whenever you ask him about Watkins is he references the other stuff all the time. He's, he's saying, I think his best action today, yeah, like his goal's brilliant, was when he heard back it just before half-time, robbed uh, Fulham midfielder of the ball and set off, uh, I think, Telemans on a counter. Tillman should have scored as well and he's like that is the thing that he's, he's sort of added to his game his commitment his work rate off the ball his pressing all that kind of stuff his goals are really important for us he said but that's the stuff that I'm really really sort of proud of him for he said Tony he's someone that we've talked about a lot at different stages of his career when we've been doing your column and reflecting <clears> on the weekend's action sometimes a player that we've wondered is 8 out of 10 the max he can go do you actually think he's got better and can he get even better than he already has well, I think the fact that Villa got him on a new long-term contract at the start of this season is a clear indication from the manager that we need to keep him because there's club sniffing. Because Ollie would have vultures hanging over him to try and get him out of Villa Park, without a doubt. Because he's one of them players... There's some players that can light up a game in any moment, and but they can be on the fringe of a game. Ollie's always involved. I think that's the big thing. You could you look at actions that are happening in the game, and then suddenly you'll see a channel run, and it'll be Ollie on the left, and then it'll be Ollie on the right, and you sort of think he's going in a lot of areas of the pitch where you don't get goals, which you, not you, a lot of strikers do. Yeah, or you get or you get players who are great at playing on the shoulder, but not not quite so good at coming dropping deep to do the link up. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. His skill set is yeah. so broad. It's yeah. like is that something he's improved? Because I remember you both, all three of us, talking that he was that player that would run the channels quite a lot. Like you mm. said, under previous Villa managers, he would get in behind and stretch teams. That's what Watkins then did. Drop and then other players would benefit. Is, well, this, is this down to Emery or is it him? Well, no, I always want to credit the player because, you know, if you want to learn and you want to become a better player, maybe watching Harry Kane develop from a young lad. Because Harry Kane, Harry Kane, when I saw him as an 18-year-old at Millwall and then watched him come through at Tottenham, he'd become an improved player because he wanted to learn the game in a different way. And how much more can he give apart from just scoring goals? Ollie Watkins wants to be a more complete player. Not necessarily, look, of course he loves getting goals and more bigger numbers, but he also wants to be a far more effective player. Because, you know, if you think of Villa lost him tomorrow, Alison talked about Virgil van Dijk and the impact at Liverpool. You look at Ollie Watkins and you think, well, really, who could do that role at Villa? The answer is no one. No. I, I think I think Emery does deserve credit, though, because he has him playing through the centre of the pitch more. And we're, Tony's yeah. right about those channel runs and stuff. He's doing them less. When Steven Gerrard was the manager before, this is actually, you know, the, the 16 months ago, this is where Steven Gerrard, after a 3-0 defeat, lost his job. Mm. I was at the game as well, actually. And so many players were like a shadow of the, themselves. Yeah. And, and Watkins was one of them. He scored one goal in his opening 11 games of the season. And since then, Emery, this has brought up Emery's 50th Premier League game. Bill have won 30 of them. Watkins has been involved in 40 goals. And he's 
started all but one of those games. He's like, he is the go-to man. He's their talisman now. Mm-hmm. He, John, Mc, you know, John I McGinn, I like to shoehorn John McGinn in, but it's, <laughs> yeah. this isn't a joke either. They love him and he's yeah. really important for, for Villa. But Watkins is the most irreplaceable player. Yeah. I, when I said, you know, giving co- course you have to compliment a manager because he's giving him the tools to be a better player and this team will be set up for you to show exactly but you need to do certain things for me yeah and that's you know Villa were complete I mean I adding on from what Gregor said I remember a couple of games I went to last year with Villa and was thinking wow they're a really average bang average mid-table team and they were hovering around that and below uh under Steven Gerrard and Alison, there's two other men I want to bring into this debate, and I'm going to let you choose who you want to talk about, Ivan Tony or Dominic Solanke. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I love them both. But I was at Brentford on Saturday, so I ought to probably speak about Ivan Tony, who, uh, if he'd been in better, better frame of mind on Saturday, could have made it much more difficult for Liverpool. Uh, for some reason... <laughs> couldn't quite work out what was going on. He treated the ball like it was a lemon meringue pie and he didn't want to destroy it. Maybe because he's a Liverpool fan and a massive Jurgen Klopp fan. Did you see that hug he gave him oh, at the end of the match? Oh, there was a lot of hugging at the Goodness end. Goodness me. A lot of hugging Outrageous, at the end. Ivan. But anyway. Uh, so, but so he's, he's, uh, it's probably not the best day to talk about him after that because I, I felt he his finishing was peculiar. I, 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 I doubt he actually thought it was a lemon meringue pie, but that's how it looked from the stands. Um but he did score. He did score. And you sort of feel like, you know, he will. And um, I've said this before. People, because he's got an attitude, Tony, and a sort of degree of arrogance, which is fine. I think a lot of strikers need that. Um, uh, people think he's one dimensional as well. He's only interested in scoring goals. But if you watch him live, he is remarkably unselfish, which I actually love from a striker. And um, Neil Mope, I think, was heading into joke category as a centre forward. But since uh, Tony's come back from his suspension, Neil Mope is completely transformed. And and he gazes at Tony like he loves him. <laughs> and uh, it's it's he, he, the, 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 the runs he met, they make from each other, the, the, the intuition they have, and they will run for each other. There is, And they will pass to each other. There is a a brightness there and an understanding there and uh, Tony has had it with Waymo as well it's it's he's very unselfish and he will cover vast swathes of the pitch where he sees it's necessary to do so i think he's an intriguing player for that reason in fact because he's because he's tall and has a physical presence it's easy to think of him as a one-dimensional sort of striker but he's not he has great great intuition and reading of the game and i think in terms of you want to talk about class the class of a player who ought to be on the international stage I think he should and I th- I've always maintained I think he'd work well with Harry Kane not instead of Harry Kane that's an interesting point and I want to come back to it but just to bring in Dominic Solanke to com- complete the trio looking at that table that um, I've done of statistics relating to Bukayo Saka um, Tony sneaking in at number 10 for Premier League goals and assists since last season just behind mm. Phil Foden the mighty the genius that is Phil Foden Dominic Solanke, 20 goals, 10 assists. Mm. Is he a little underrated, perhaps? Well, well, when you're a star at Chelsea, or a young kid that's got going to be given the, the luxuries of you know being a potential first-team player, doesn't find his way, ends up going to Liverpool, it doesn't work out particularly well. I think he scored one goal at Anfield and uh, a number of games. Goes to Bournemouth, had to go to the Championship to rediscover and get goals which he did. I think the improvement of him has come a little bit with a, a new manager coming in that was well at Bournemouth, um, but because he got loads of goals in the Championship. That was never... It, the, the only question was the same question that Ivan Tony has to face. Can you go and do it in the Premier League? Well, he's got there, and he's, look, he's much more experienced now. He's 20, what, 26, Solanke, something like that? 26, yeah. Yeah, 26. You know, so... And it's he's coming with the sort of belief that he's going to get goals where when I saw him as a younger player I didn't think he had that I felt just looking at him thinking you look like I remember thinking of myself as a young player and thinking I never quite believed I was going to get goals sometimes it would happen but I never really believed it and he reminded me of that and now I look at him and think 
now he knows about, again, being sort of the most important number one. And he covers a lot on his shoulders, but he's now ready enough for all of that. And he's been a fantastic, you know, uh, story of, of a bit of redemption for him personally. Because when you get let go as a young player, you, you go on and you, you try and find your career. He's done that. He's found it at Bournemouth. And now he's looking like a player that I don't think will get in the England squad. Um I think there's been massive improvement, but I just don't see Gareth going that way. Yeah, well, coming back then, you've dismissed Solanke, and that's absolutely fine, because I think that we knew where we were going. But it's, it, talking about Kane's understudy, which is kind of how I teed this up, Alison, you mentioned about Ivan Tony playing with Harry Kane. Are we saying then that if, if say, let's not even think about it, because England are going to win the Euros under the mighty Gareth Southgate, but if, in his desperation to bring the title to Bayern Munich, and it doesn't look like it's going to, but Harry Kane injures himself... <gasps> Who is the actual Harry Kane replacement? Is it Ollie Watkins? Because Ivan Tony needs a Harry Kane next to him. Uh, for the reasons I said, I think it's Ollie Watkins. But I, I also see the argument that Tony would be a really good impact because he's he's the best player in, in the in the air in the league. Uh, also, his penalties are. But that's what I mean in terms of understudy. In, is the idea that As you would starter. then replace? You would then replace if there's no Harry Kane and we've got Ollie Saka Watkins on one day. side or Rashford and Foden. Ollie Watkins all day because of the way he can he can he can stretch defence as well and he can link up. I just think he's the most as I say he's got the most similar sort of skill set to Harry Kane. Alison, agree? I, no, I would still. You'd still go Tony. I'd still go Tony, even though I think it would be better if they played together. I would still go for Tony. You still you think Tony's good I enough to Tony's link those got, players around him? I think Tony. <clears throat> I think Tony's got more arrogance than Watkins, and he would not struggle with the amount of pressure it, that would be on you as England's number one striker. I agree, but I, I don't. I think yeah. Watkins is actually getting there. You, you know, there's one thing I've noticed is that almost every time he scores a goal now, he runs up to the away fans. Even you know, obviously he did it at Brentford where yeah. there was a pointed thing, but and he obviously being a former Brentford player. He ran over to the film fans and he just stands there smiling, that kind of beautiful grin of his on the front of the fan. He's like, he is, he is kind of getting a little bit more cocky. Right. And Good. Yeah, Tony, that's no bad thing for a striker. Tony, well, Tony Gold, final verdict. There's my no final Harry Kane. Verdict is, if you're going to play a one, it's definitely Ollie Watkins. If I play a two, I'd love to play the two of them together if Harry Kane weren't playing because Embu, he could do the Mbermo role at Brentford that he done, does brilliantly for Ivan Tony. So we don't, England don't even need Harry Kane. Just play both of them. No, if, if <laughs> Harry wasn't obviously available yeah. that you, you started with yeah. I would I would be absolutely prepared to go the two of them mm. because I think they'd scare the life out of teams is he only do we agree that he's only going to pick one though yeah he is yeah what take one Watkins I think he might one. try and take two I think he might try and take Watkins and Tony but the reality is that you know they might both go and not play a minute yes yeah. that's very true so if you're bringing wide players you know someone like Marcus, Rash- Marcus Rashford if in form a bit more flexibility that's the other thing that's is the other this, string can, in I Watkins. Just, can I just say is this you a Scott getting excited about a debate around an England squad because this <laughs> sounds suspiciously I you, like I'm always it. really supportive until you get to the final that's the other thing about Watkins too is that before before he uh, before Brentford sold Neil Mopai he was a winger mm. so yeah, it's just, cool, you know, yeah. he has that string to his bow as well he could mm. come on and you know if you're really yeah. chasing a game and play wide. Yeah, you you could just add one little thing on that as well is that you know you will play if you're at Harry Kane's understudy. Normally you would because in Qatar, obviously Callum Wilson played. Yeah, you know, and you probably will get game time if you're lucky enough to be five yeah. nil up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you well, should he also played, <laughs> he played in you know in one of the games. Didn't yeah, he? we should mention for Newcastle fans screaming at their phones at yeah. the minute. Callum Wilson is in this top ten of Premier League goals and assists since last season with 31, but I've slightly discounted him because he feels a little bit old and like he's injured. Anyway, moving on to another striker in the goals. Rasmus Hoyland. He's done it. He's turned it around a couple of weeks ago. I was praising him on this podcast and Martin Samuel laughed at me. Ha! Pow! Leave it at, will you? <laughs> this is a test to see whether he listens on Monday now to see whether he's going to have a go at me about his impression. But Rasmus Hoyland, six goals on the spin tone. And yeah. the youngest, youngest player to do it in the Premier League. Younger even than the mighty Erling Haaland. Are you yeah. impressed? I, well, I was because, as I spoke about in the piece today, that getting his first Premier League goal on the 26th of December um, and thinking... One thing that stood out to me about him was that he joined Manchester United where they had no alternative or experienced striker within the camp. So it's like this young lad who's brought in. And I, I remember Dwight York going to Manchester United in 98 and he walked into a dressing room with Ole Gunnar Schalzgaard, Teddy Sheringham and Andy Cole. Right, So you've got a lot of competition there. He's had none. 
Hoyland. But he's also had no experience of help from strikers or, you know, people that might be on the sort of way down but trying to, you know, help him grow as a player. He suffered a long run, barren run of not scoring. And that going into December is a long time. Late December, that's a long time. So I remember thinking this is going to be a real test of his character. How, how he's going to get out of a slump. The team wasn't playing well. He wasn't as effective. But you can see there's quality there. And what I thought, I thought, I thought he led the line brilliantly uh, against uh, against Luton. Physical. His touch was great. He looked like, I mean, even his second goal, some might go, that was a lucky deflection. He actually looks like he meant to. I was going to say, yeah, Strikers like Union, it. you're backing him all the way. Well, he looked Little like flick. he meant he'd give it the old shoulders, like he's dancing. I'm he? not against it. I thought the same, I've got to say. But it's interesting you talk about coming through that tough period and Alison to link it back to our previous discussions around Virgil van Dijk and Kai Havertz and happiness and things. Eric Ten Hag, after the match, was talking about the signing of Hoyland. He said, we are very happy with our recruitment and that we recruited the right character because he can perform under stress and when things go against him, like in the first half of the season he has the ability and a strong character to be resilient which is quite a striking thing for a manager to be talking about as such a young player as well but it is evident isn't it when Gregor you're talking about Ollie Watkins and that arrogance and that confidence it's not necessarily arrogance that we see with Hoyland but a determination when he scored that first Premier League goal against Villa the celebration was just sheer unbridled both relief and exuberant joy but now he's giving it the um look at my name, spin round to the Luton fans, isn't he? And what a kind of transformation that says for a guy who's backed himself ultimately. Yeah, no, and I, I think you'd have to have a heart of stone not to feel pleased for him. I was there for his United debut and I felt sorry for him because most of the chat was about, is he fully fit? Because he had a, a, a long-term back issue and it felt like maybe he was getting on the pitch earlier than he should have done. Was he completely fit? And I don't think he was completely fit. And maybe he wasn't utterly fit in that long barren spell, Tony. Mm. But what I think he always showed was um, that willingness to, to run and be involved and to work hard. And I, I was probably more impressed with his uh, with his effort against Luton as opposed to his goals. Because one goal you'd have to be an idiot to miss and the other one... <laughs> Let's say was freaky in the build-up. Well, to they it. missed some of his Man United teammates missed a similar chance in the That's second true, half. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so there's a couple <laughs> of idiots in slightly there. idiotic, but it it was more that you know you've proven a point. You've scored two goals. It's only Luton. She said, putting inverted commas around it, and yet he did not treat it. He didn't coast at all. And when you're young, that's one of the traps you fall into, isn't mm. it? Oh, I've made it now. I've broken a record. Broken Joe Willock's record. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> Joe Willock must be fuming, by the way. <laughs> I'm not sure you'll know who Joe Willock is. Yeah, he, must <laughs> he will. I back him. But it's, but it's possible, isn't it? When you're that young, so it's, it's why Ten Hag was right to point it out. It's about attitude. It would be easy to coast, and he didn't coast. He, he, he continued to work very hard, and I do feel that United came perilously close to dropping points at Luton and one of the reasons they didn't was that Luton couldn't take couldn't they had to worry about Hoyland mm, absolutely Gregor you mentioned when we had a debate about the top four earlier in the season you said it's just the Manchester United they're just Manchester United they might come and the front cover of the game today said United on the charge four wins on the spin is Hoyland going to drag them into contention for the top four still a couple of points behind Tottenham and Villa but both those teams slipping up kind of in turn almost is Hoyland going to be a, a, a catalyst for United to get to Well, without four? his goals, it would it would have seemed very unlikely. But now, with that and the sort of just a bit of a shift in mood around the club because of the the investment and you know all the talk about appointments off the pitch, the idea that Man United are actually going to be a kind of properly functioning football club, it's possible. What do you think about that personality thing that I mentioned? Having bigged up Ollie Watkins so much, what do you, uh, what do you look at when you see uh, Hoyland? What do you see? Tenacity. Like the way is when he holds the ball up again, he's he's great with his back to goal. He's he kind of like Mark you know, Hughes he, he, sort of yeah, like, like he's almost like he's got a fistful of, of the defenders' jerseys. He's really really dragging them down and and poking balls off like mm. laying balls off and then spinning them behind. He's it's like real all action. And when I was writing that piece about Watkins, I was thinking who else you know I, I was saying he was the most complete striker in the Premier League. I was thinking who else could like who else is in the in the running for this. Haaland, if he was, you know, Haaland is Haaland, and 
And we don't actually see a lot of the things that Haaland can do because he's playing for, for Manchester City. He's asked to just do nothing for half an hour at a time or whatever. Uh, but having watched Hoyland then later on that evening, I was thinking, yeah, Hoyland is, he is an all-rounder as well. Mm. I'm not sure he can, well, I've not seen it yet, but, you know, Watkins could score a worldie from outside the box. And, you know, he's he's someone who links play brilliantly, then gets in the box and he gets in the end of things. But he's, he's got a lot of strings to his bow as well and, and he's starting to look like a really good signing for United. There you go, Rasmus. Just need to knock one out of your feet from 25 yards and bang it in the top <laughs> corner and Gregor Robertson thinks you're as good as Erling Haaland. Uh, moving on, we're going to finish with Mason Holgate and the horror lunge that gives Brighton a gift, as the Times headline writes this morning. I thought this was fascinating. A, a chance for Chris Wilder going into a home game, having beaten Luton. Um, I was speaking to Ian Whittle beforehand before the game um, when I was editing yesterday and saying... This has got to be the chance, hasn't it? This is the chance for Sheffield United to have the tiniest little most positive run. And then in flies Mason Holgate over the top of the ball, sent off after 10 minutes. It was fascinating as well to hear Chris Wilder say that he's maybe going to be fined. He's apologised, came straight out. There was no kind of trying to mask it. I don't know. There was two contradictory interviews he gave. The first one he was saying, there'll be some older guys today uh, watching this thinking... You know, in our day, he might have got away with that, and you know, he, he was. But we're not. One in, but we're not in their that. day, are we? We're not in their day. He did That's say that. He did say that. He did say that. He said you can't do it anymore. I, but I'm not sure you could ever do that. No, but it's madness. It was. We're just just checking. No one ever. No one in this room thinks that was a, even in any way an unlucky tackle. The defenders' no, union. No, but what it was was the, the kind of tackle that we we've seen not so long ago, where a player tries to take the ball and then clean out the man but he missed the ball completely yeah. so but you can't even do that if you if you won the ball you couldn't do that yeah. that's the that's the difference that's what Wilder was getting getting at you used to be able to take the ball and clean out the man but because you got the ball it didn't matter now it doesn't matter if you get the ball if you if you go in that that kind of rec- recklessly you're off ever done anything that's daft early in a game time um no I've been do you know how many times I've been sent off I think we have done it as an intro yeah. but maybe I'll do it next time but go on tell me six nine nine, oh, nine. nine. yeah three I knew for, it was more than Gregor three for descent yeah <laughs> couple of couple of elbows in there yeah um, yeah so um, no I wasn't the greatest tackler if I'm honest just left that to the other lads to be fair. Well, I just wasn't great at tackling. I, I tried it. I'd never come off very well in tackling. <laughs> David Webb, who came to Chelsea as an interim manager uh, for about six weeks, done a tackling session and he called me aside afterwards and went, I've seen some bad centre forward tackles, but yours are down there with a, re- or up there with the very best. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, it, it, look, you didn't need VAR, did you? You didn't no. have to ask VAR no. on that one. But if they got that wrong, that'd have been the end of football with VAR. In terms of Chris Wilder, then. <laughs> this is incredibly difficult for him, isn't it? Because he, he, I, I was also watching it, and I was speaking to Martin Hardy, who'd been kind of watching their Newcastle game when they obviously capitulated mm. and lost eight nil. You can see those two goals, and everyone in the office is going, "It's going to be eight nil again." And they held firm just for a little yeah. bit, and yeah. then conceded towards the end. I mean, it makes it incredibly difficult, for well, him, doesn't it? Yeah, and he's had a really frustrating time because they played Crystal Palace away, and they were leading twice, and Eze and Alisse calls got won the goals in the game, and caused them problems and they lost that 3-2 and he was really frustrated and then obviously they lost to Villa 5-0 and then they go to Luton and put in a really spirited performance and win 3-1 and and I I know that he felt we've got to back this up we just have to back that win up because that was a big day for them winning at Luton they were playing a team that got promoted they got them sort of you know nearer to Burnley uh, as in a relegation battle and he was just looking to catch somebody he wanted to catch whoever in front of them you know whether it was Burnley and then whether we get to Burnley can we get to Luton or can we get to Everton you know and he was thinking like that um, and of course it just fell up then once the tackle was made he tried to tighten it up um, it's, a, it's a tough one I mean I don't know what you can say because Holgate's not even a young, naive lad. He's, yeah, he's, he's been played around at the, top the block for a while. Yeah. Was he 27 now? Yeah. Something like that. Can we think of any other daft tackles? Chaotic. Daft tackles. Daft tackles. How many daft tackles did you make in your career? Or will you stay on your feet? No, Shepherd I'd, him out of play. I'd concede one, a throw in. I was thinking about this you morning. You were, weren't you? I was thinking about this this morning. I had one uh, against Elliot Bennett. Do you remember he played for Wolves, yep. Brighton, Norwich, Blackburn? I do. He was on loan at at Burry. In fact, ironically, Alan Nill was the was the coach of Burry then, and uh, he he was young and very fast, and we were both running for the ball, and he just slipped it into like sixth gear or whatever, <laughs> and I lunged, and it was it was pretty high and reckless, and it was straight red, and like I think 
It was in the first half. But was it des- was that a desperation just trying to bring him down, or did you actually? Yeah, try he, and nail he, him? he slipped it into you know a higher gear, and I thought I'm not catching him here, and I and I, I lunged and yeah, I caught him pretty high, <laughs> and it was a straight red, and uh, but not not you know not very often. That was that was ridiculous. There's not. It's hard to think of. A worse tackle than that in in recent years. There are there's there are the those. Harlan Kane couple of tackles were pretty severe, weren't they? Yeah, they're pretty. Either bad. Way, that's a different category yeah. of stupid. I think. I think that's. A, <laughs> let's not get into the merits of Roy Keane on it. Uh, Alfinger Harland. Um, you give me another nickname for you now. First gear. <laughs> anyway, first Second gear. Game, the Posty, National Rail, and the Ice Cream Van Man. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you too for listening. Join us on Thursday when you're going to see whether I've got the bottle to give Martin Samuel a nickname or not. See you then. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.